uh, we're, we're in the series called Habits, and last week we started it, and, and it's because we were almost to the breaking point of when New Year's resolutions kind of fall apart. I'm happy to announce that uh, if, you, if, you, if you are continuing with any New Year's resolution that you had set up at the beginning of the year, you are in the sixth percentile of Americans because 94% of Americans have completely given up on their resolutions by about three days ago on the 21st, okay? So uh, whatever it is in our psyche, uh, you and I, we, we get to these, these moments in life, these big changes in life, the, the big one being uh, the calendar went from 2021 to 2022, and, and we look at our lives and we assess it and we say, by golly, there's some things I need to start doing, and there's some things I need to stop doing, and I'm going to choose right now to start doing those things or to stop doing those things, to start working on it. And, and we have all of the best intentions, but over and over again, we find that these resolutions, they fall apart. And uh, we we just like, why? Why even have them? And so we feel defeated. We feel let down. And what we wanted to do beginning last week and for the next two weeks after this is we want to look at using scripture uh, at some ways that we can be better fortified and have better habits. And so we're in this habit series. And last week, what we uh, looked at, if you can bring that piece up, Dave, is uh, that, that we really need to focus before we start talking about what you need to start doing and stop doing, because so too many people have this idea of Christianity that like the guy on the stage is going to wag his finger at me and tell me all the things to stop doing. Uh, we really need to take a step behind that and really focus on who we are. Because you are who God says that you are. You're not who you feel like you are. You're not who the world says you are. You're who God says you are. And if you're a follower of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. And so we need to focus on this. Our identity and who we are is going to steer what we do. When we believe the lies, when we, when we think that I failed myself so many times, I must be that failure. I must be that type of failure. I must be uh, the one who lets my family down over and over again. We internalize it and then, you know, your actions will follow your identity. But scripture says that we are who God says that we are. And he says that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So our first step is to resolve or what we said last week, that word resolution or to resolve is to settle now. Like we're going to draw the line in the sand right now that I'm, I am who God says that I am. I'm going to focus on my who before we start to discuss the do. And this week, what I want to look at, if we can bring that up, is our second step. If you want habits that stick, your st second step is to stop the actions or behaviors uh, that are working to imprison you. Now, we all have a list of, of actions, behaviors, things that we, we say, I need, to, I need to stop doing those things. I, I really wish I could break myself of that. I wish, I wish you know, I'm going to stop, uh, I'm going to stop smoking, and I'm going to stop doing, and we, we have the best of intentions, um, what, what we need to be honest about is that there are things, actions, activities, that their goal is to imprison you, to entrap you, to, to put you in bondage. So if, if I can just be a little transparent, uh, I'm uh, 36 years old, and I am a former smoker. And this is like, oh, the preacher smoked? Yeah, I smoked. I did. And I was a teenager, and it was really cool and hip, and all the cool kids were doing it, and, and it was fun. And then, and then uh, one day, I'm like in college, and I wanted to stop smoking. You know, it's really hard to stop smoking. If you've ever been a former smoker, and you stop smoking, can you just rewind the clock back just a minute and remember that that season where you were trying to stop and you're like I you know I started on purpose I knew I, I, like it wasn't hard to start why is this so hard to stop and it's it just like the cravings get there the cold sweats get there and you're like don't talk to me right now you know you get a little agitated for no reason uh, it's really hard to stop things because why? Because because as you know nicotine is addictive and some things out there though you went into it willingly 
you don't have as much power to get out of it as you think you do. I can quit anytime I want. Really, well, why was smoking so hard to quit? Why are so many things that are easy to get into hard to get out of? What Scripture would teach is that there are things in this world that it's not just bad because God you know, says, I don't like those things. They're bad because they're not real freedom for you. They're bad because they actually are designing themselves to imprison you, to entrap you, to put you in a form of bondage you really don't want to be in. And we need, to, we need to be proactive, and we need to actively try to break ourselves of that. So let's look at, if you will, uh, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 1, but let me set it up real quick. The guy who wrote this is Paul. He wrote the same thing we read last week. Uh, and most of the time, if you just randomly open the New Testament, he wrote it, probably. I mean, he, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And what Paul has written here is a letter to the church in Galatia. Most people think that, or I don't know if it's most, many people think that this is Paul's first letter. So this is like before he has anything else authored, this might be the first thing that he put down on paper and everybody loved it. He writes to the church in Galatia because they're having a trouble balancing between two very, very different extremes both of them leading to problems, okay? And so the one extreme that was going on in the church is uh, what we would call now like legalism or something like that. They would call just, hey, we're, we're Judaizers and we're following the law. And what they, what they were teaching, this group of people were teaching, is that they would show up in the church and they would say, oh, you've been saved by the grace of Jesus? That's great. Are you ready for the next step? Like, oh, Paul didn't say there was a next step. Yeah, you have to go get circumcised and you have to go follow the law and you have to do all these things. You're like, what is going on? So this, this faction rose up and there's all these rules, these religious rules that were being added onto the grace of Jesus. And then there, the camp of people who believed in those rules would just wag their finger at the people who were like, no, I don't think I have to do those things. Uh, I, I think maybe uh, it would be difficult for us to have a, a, a correlation. Like, okay, well, that's, that was 2,000 years ago. There's not a lot of people running around like claiming to, like, you have to follow the law. But there are churches that teach all these extra steps. Yeah, sure, we have God's grace, but you really need to be in church five days a week, uh, and you need to be tithing 104% of your income, and, you need, and there's all these like, extra steps on top of God's grace given to us. Some of you, uh, and I know this from having conversations with many of you, have grown up in churches where you felt an extra guilt, an extra burden, and when you know you talked to somebody about it, you found out that, oh, Jesus never meant that for me. Like those those rules were, oh, I, I did. I thought I thought that was, I thought that was all Christianity. I thought were these rules. No, that, that's not. And that's, so that's one side of the extreme things that Paul is dealing with in Galatia. The other side is, is uh, if it weren't so disastrous, it would be humorous. Um, but you have this other group of people that they're free in Christ, and they're like, you know what? Jesus says he's going to forgive me. I'm going to do whatever I want. And they just like run amok. They just like, they're just going to go like partying, drinking, doing all kinds of terrible things. And when someone goes to them, someone wise, uh, an older Christian, it's like, hey, uh, you may want to slow down on that. Get yeah, mind your business, man. I have freedom in Christ. I do whatever I want. And so the two extremes are causing problems in this church. And Paul is going to make the argument, I'm going to present it here in a second, is that, that neither is really true freedom. You know, the, the, the legalism and following every rule under the sun with this heavy burden is not a freedom, obviously. Uh, but neither is just pursuing whatever sin, whatever, whatever thing that is going, because those things are also going to put you in bondage. Both are putting you in bondage. Freedom, actually, if you look at the line, what Paul's going to say is freedom's found in the middle. There's freedom in Christ. To, to battle against sin, battle against those things that are trying to imprison you, but also to not feel the, the weight of the full amount of the law on your shoulders. So here's how he words it in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Why did Christ set us free? 
for freedom. That's it. You know, what, what I love about that is that uh, it teaches, uh, and it's a, a one short sentence, but it's taught elsewhere, is that Jesus had no ulterior motives in, in his offering of freedom to you and me. He doesn't offer us freedom so that he can, like, trick us into working for him and, like, okay, I guess I have to go share the gospel now because, you know, Jesus. No, freedom is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That the work of Christ was intended to be true and real freedom. And so now he says, stand firm, therefore. Stand firm in the freedom. Why? He says, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What Paul is arguing in this opening line of chapter 5, he's arguing that there's a risk that Christians who are saved by the grace of God would later submit to a new yoke that is not real freedom. It may be dressed up as freedom, it may look and smell like freedom, and it may have a group of people saying, hey, here's freedom. You want real freedom? You need this. You need, you need these spiritual gifts. You need to follow these rules. You need to do these things. And Paul would say, hey, listen, Christian, it is for freedom Christ set you free. Stand firm and don't submit to a new yoke of slavery. And of course, you know, the, the word yoke is like a farmer term. It's that, it's that heavy, like wooden collar that they put on the ox, right? Like that's slavery. You, some people in, in their freedom, you say, I can, do, I can do what I want. I'm 18 now, dad. I can, I can go out. I can, I can go party. I can do whatever I want. And you slowly you pick up that wooden yoke and you lay it on your shoulders and it becomes heavier than you ever intended it to become because you become enslaved in a way that you never be, be intended to become enslaved. When I was like uh, nine or 10 years old, uh, there was a, uh, I don't know why they did this, but it was like a, like a carnival kind of an event at Le, uh, uh, Langham Elementary School in Nederland. Anybody know where Langham is? It's probably the oldest school in Southeast Texas. Uh, it smells from the street like asbestos uh, and mothballs. It's, it's a really, really old building. It's, it's nice looking, uh, but it'll kill you. And uh, and they had outside one day, they had like a carnival, like an event where you, you go, you buy a couple of tickets and you, you do like the, the cakewalk and you do the, I don't know, pin the tail on the something and you, I don't know, just think, just, just real, it's not the Heritage Festival, like we don't have the big roller coaster thing, it's just like just stuff that people had in their backyard that they put together in a game. And I'm riding my bike through the neighborhood, I'm just like cruising around at nine or ten years old, and this carnival is happening, it's, it's fun, it looks good, and I've got like four dollars burning a hole in my pocket, I have, this is going to be great. And I used to go to that school. So I go and I go do the one ride for the one ticket. And I go do this other ride for the two tickets. And then I, I'm down to my last ticket. Okay. I'm down to my last ticket. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this last ticket? What haven't I done yet? And I get over here and this kid, uh, which he's, he might as well be like a hundred years old because I'm 10, but he's probably looking back on, he's probably like 14 years old with all the power in the world. His ride, uh, air quotes on that, his ride is just like a, like a, a wooden uh, box with like chicken wire around it and it's jail. He has, his ride is he creates a jail and you have to pay a ticket to get into the jail and then you have to pay another ticket to get out of jail. So if you're like at the carnival and you're like, hey man, you know, just looking for a good time. You want to come sit in jail for a while? Sure. <laughs> that sounds good. And so I, I go to jail uh, at nine years old and I pay the guy my ticket and I sit down in jail and it is great because I got to do all the things you got to get to do in jail. I got to put my hands on the bars. I got to yell, I'm in I got to you know, like yell at friends. I got to ask for commissary. Someone flung me a kite. If you watch Locked Up Abroad, you know what that is. It's just a lot of fun to be in jail for 10 minutes. Uh, but I'm 10, and I'm ready to get out of jail like as quick as I can. And so I go to walk out, and this little 14-year-old punk, he's like, hey, hey, buddy, that's going to cost you a ticket. 
I don't have a ticket. I'm out. He's like, you just got to sit there until someone brings me a ticket. And he put me back in jail. And I'm pretty sure that's a felony. Uh, and, and, so, and so I don't have a ticket. And I, I think I kind of laughed for a second. I thought, okay, yeah, right, buddy. Uh, and so I sit down and I think I'm going to wait till he's not looking right. And I go to try to make an escape. And he's like, boom, he shoves me back down. And so I'm, stu- I'm really stuck in jail. I'm, I'm a little nervous. My parents don't know where I am. I was just riding my bike through the neighborhood. I'm, I might be here forever. I don't know. Is this going to be a life sentence? At 10 years old, things escalate quickly. Uh, and so uh, rewinding back, it's not a, an iron prison. Uh, it is a chicken wire wood frame prison. And I have the muscles of a 50-year-old, and so I go to the back of the prison, and I tear the chicken wire off of the frame, and I break out of the prison. I am here to tell you, uh, I am an escaped convict, and I made it, I made it out. Um, it looked really fun to step in. The ticket was there. It had the thrill of a game. I got in there on my own. I chose to go in there, and when I got in there, I realized the price to get out was much higher than what I had in my pocket, and it was more than I could afford and, and it became very scary very quick. That's real silly. Uh, but you and I, we live in a world as Christians that we, we have freedom and we are given the option to pursue things in that freedom. And scripture warns that there are some things out there, hey, Christian, you don't really want to be a part of. Uh, but we see our friends, and maybe sometimes we're uh, in this crowd too. We end up in this situation. We pay the price to get in willingly. But when it comes time to pay up to get out, we don't have enough to get out. And Paul says it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't do that, brother. Now, he's going to go for the next several verses. Feel free to read it. He's going to talk specifically about the law. He's going to talk about Judaism. He's going to talk about circumcision. He even, you know, he gets a little, you know, like PG-13 towards there. He gets angry. Uh, but he was in prison. Like, you can't really hold Paul against it. He talks like a prisoner sometimes. But if you can, let's fall down to verse 13, because I want to pick up on this idea of freedom again. He says in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Like, Jesus called you to a real freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Uh, what he's warning is the idea of opportunity, uh, the, the Greek word uh, that escapes me in this moment, but it's a, it's a military term. And it's this idea that, that if you played Risk or you played like, I don't know, uh, war games of some kind, uh, you know, or if you were in a war, you may, you may be a veteran. You, you have like a, a moment where you, you have your front line and then you progress the front line a little bit further and you press, progress the front line a little bit further. You're playing Risk and the guy can't get out of Africa because your front line is blocking it, right? And this idea of opportunity for the flesh, that, that, that military term is this idea that you let just one enemy behind the front line and they're just like camped out in like just right behind that and they just sit there and they grow bigger and bigger and fester bigger and bigger that's how you lose the game of risk ladies and gentlemen if you want to know just get you let one guy get behind you and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger because you've left an opportunity for them to grow and take over your your continent and he says he says don't uh use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't, don't make the mistake of letting your flesh take your freedom and take you to places where you don't want to go. He says, but through love, serve one another. And so for Paul, it becomes kind of a balancing act that if we're not careful, we end up pursuing our freedom for the, the sake of all the things we want, for the sake of our flesh, and we, we refuse or end or quit serving one another. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, remember, this is Paul writing, but that sounds very Jesus-like, doesn't it? 
And it wasn't long ago we were in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus said essentially these same words, that the law is summed up in loving one another. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. But verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so what he's, what he's saying is church, because remember, he's not writing to an individual. He's writing to a group of people. He's saying, hey, church, you have these different factions in your group. You have the Judaizers and you have the freedom fighters or whatever. And you're just arguing with each other over what Jesus is allowing you to do or what rules that you need to follow. And in doing so, you're, you're kind of biting at each other. You're kind of getting at each other. He says, if you're not careful, you're going to consume one another. You're, you, the, the church is going to falter because you're not, you're not where you need to be on, on freedom. So what, what do we do with this? He says this in verse 16, but I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now this should remind you, if you were here last week, this should remind you of what we read in Romans 7. You remember Paul was saying in Romans 7, like, why is it that I do the things that I don't want to do? And you know that. He says, every time I get up to try to do something good, it seems to me that it's a law that evil is right there waiting for me. It's going to just like pounce on me. Why is it that I have these different desires that are constantly at odds with each other? He says right here in verse 17, the, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. If you are a follower of Christ, you, you, you've confessed Jesus as Lord and, and you've been redeemed by him, you're growing as a Christian. What Paul is going to teach you is that now alive in you are two competing desires. Your flesh, which has always wanted to do whatever it's wanted to do. Everything, every mistake you've ever made, every regret you hold on to and you think, sure do wish I never did that. That's because your flesh steered you that direction. Okay, You were there for all of your mistakes and your flesh is what Paul would say. is that. But alive in you as well as the spirit. And these two things, these two things are at odds with each other. The spirit is at odds with the desires of the flesh because they're keeping you from doing the things that you want to do. But he says in verse 18, if you were led by the spirit, you're not under the law. That's, that is a, a great message. It, 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 it's lost on you and I because we're Americans, right? And uh, we talk about freedom a lot. I mean, by golly, I have freedom. I have freedom to uh, uh, carry uh, firearms. I have freedom to wear a mask or to not wear a mask. I have freedom I have freedom to vote. I have freedom. I'm, a, I'm an American. We, we really practice freedom. In his world, um, they didn't obviously have any political freedom like that. In his world, the law is what kept the community safe. The law is what made sure that you followed the rules and you followed the rules and you followed the rules. The law kept you there. And what Paul says is like, hey, uh, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That our goal is to, is to not have the, the full list of things actions, activities that we need to be a part of, but we, we trust as individuals and as a collective, to, I'm just going to trust the spirit. Like I'm going to, I feel led to do these, these things. What that means for you and me is that um, your walk and your walk are going to look very different than each other. Um, the, the sins that I battle, the sins that, that the spirit is bringing to my attention are different than the sins that are being brought to your attention. And too often preachers will get up in this little spot on the stage and they will take the sins that the Spirit is teaching them and working on them and they will project that onto the crowd and say, hey, hey you shouldn't do these things. You, you shouldn't be about these things. But, but your ability to follow the Spirit, if you're being led by the Spirit, the Spirit's going to convict you of different things. 
Um, you're going to see a list of things here in a moment that may be a part of that, but, but we need to be honest that, that everybody's walk is very unique. And there's a guy named Oswald Chambers. He had a quote in one of his books. He says this. He says, let Christ be as original with them as he was with you. And the point he was making in the book is that too often we take where we are in our walk and we try to fast forward everybody who's younger than us up to our spiritual maturity level. And then, and then we, we try to run as fast as we can to the next spiritual maturity level. But the truth is, is that the Spirit knows where we are. The Spirit knows where we're at most risk of falling. The Spirit knows what we need to focus on right now. And while I may be focusing on, you know, sins of pride, you may be focusing on sins of, of substance or consumption, we're both working towards the same gospel-sanctified mission. And none of us in here are exempt. First John says that if anybody in here says that you have no sin, not only are you a liar, but you're pointing your finger to God and saying, God, you're lying. We all have sin. We're all being redeemed. And we're all being led by the Spirit. We're not under the law. Now, uh, this is the part of the message that gets uncomfortable. My apologies. Verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Before I go any further uh, and read the works of the flesh that are evident, let's just admit something. Paul's going to say uh, a list of things that are happening in the church. Uh, and, and many people think that this list of things happens to be very specific to Galatia, what he knows of Galatia. Um, the, the works of the flesh that he's heard about that are happening there. He says though that they're evident. And isn't that true in your life? Isn't it true that the things in your life that you wish, they're kind of dragging you down, the things in your life that are putting you in bondage, they're really obvious to you, right? Like, you, you don't need somebody to come like, hey, have you considered this problem? No, you're like, I'm well aware of my flaws. Thank you so much, uh, Captain Obvious. I, we, we know, because they're evident, the works of the flesh are evident. I'm going to read through the works of the flesh. I want to, I want to, I'm not going to like grab each one of these and give this overall explanation, but I will for a few of them because I think, I think that they're important. He says now that the works of the flesh are evident. He says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That sounds like a jacked up church. Can we all agree? Like what is going on that that list came out of Paul's head? Good night. Um, there, there are some of these that, uh, that, the English words don't really capture the full scope of it. And so they sound softer in English than they were in reality. And so if I can just, I want to explain a few of these. Um, the, the first one, uh, he says sexual immorality. The Greek word for that is porneia. Uh, it's where we get the word pornography from, okay? And so he's saying, hey, uh, the works of, uh, of, of the flesh, they're, they're evident. And, and some people in the church are str struggling with pornography or looking at images that they shouldn't look at. Uh, our current society also has a struggle with that as well. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, I think everybody is. I, I read a study that said 40% of the internet is pornography. Are you kidding me? The internet's huge, right? 40%. That's, that's a lot of the internet. Something like, uh, it was like 75% of men have admitted on studies that they are addicted to pornography. And then it was something in the ballpark of 33% of women said that they too are also addicted to pornography. That one in three women and, and three in four guys are like, hey, I'm stuck. And, and I, don't, I don't know how to get out. He goes on from there, uh, that word uh, next to it, uh, impurity. Now, we read impurity, and it's this really soft word. It's like, oh, man, that can, that can mean anything. 
it's something extremely specific for Paul. To be impure is to mean that, that you're no longer allowed to be a part of your society. That's, it's the same word as unclean, right? And so if you had leprosy, you, you probably know this just from VBS. You had leprosy, you had to yell, unclean! And like nobody could come to you, nobody could be near you, you couldn't get to God, you couldn't get to church. And, and it was just this, this state of being. The state of being happens to have in the law like certain requirements that need to be met, and you go do a certain washing, you go pray a certain prayer, and go slaughter a certain animal, and you could be moved from impure to pure. You could be moved from unclean to clean. But he, what he's arguing for here is like this, this category of like neglectfulness, this category where you, you've become unclean and separated from your community, and you're just like, I, I don't belong with them anymore. I don't fit with them. It becomes, it becomes like an identity issue. I, I'm impure. Uh, I'm just, I give up. He goes on, uh, let's see here. I'm going to try not to spend too much time on this. Uh, uh, sensuality, that, that's a word, again, it's super soft in English. Uh, in, in the Greek, uh, it has a lot of violence associated with it. Uh, the, the, the dictionary I read says that it's uh, considered outrageous, uh, indecent, and often violent uh, sexual acts. And so uh, fill, fill in the blanks, but this is something that people are arguing like, hey, I can do whatever I want in Christ. Uh, no, you can't, uh, jerk face. Uh, uh, idolatry, I don't need to explain that. Sorcery, the Greek word for sorcery, in some, some of your Bibles it may say witchcraft, we're like, oh, uh, we need to stop like talking about Harry Potter. Like, let's keep our kids away from Harry Potter. That's not this, okay? That's, that's not what is written about right here. Uh, the Greek word for that is pharmakeia, or pharmakeia, I'm not sure how to pronounce the end of it. It's where we get the word pharmacology from. It's where we get pharmacy from. The, the word right here is for substance use. It's this, it's this pursuit of people who would take substances because it clears their mind. It opens them up to a different world, a different perception. What he's talking about is drug use right here. Do drugs put us in bondage? Yeah. And you have groups of people who, like, in their, you know, whatever religion that they're in, they're like, hey, look, just take a little bit of this. You know, open your mind up. Your prayer life will be so, like, it'll be, you'll see colors in your prayers. And you're like, okay. And then you start doing this thing, right? Uh, and then you're like, it's ruining my life. It's ruining my family. I'm, I, we would use now today the word addicted. I'm addicted and I can't, I can't stop it. And Paul says, don't submit to a new yoke of slavery. In your freedom pursuing all of these things, don't submit to a new yoke of slavery. So he goes on. He says in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, such things, uh, there is no law. You can't make a law against being kind to each other, right? That's why everybody has that shirt. It's like a bumblebee and then the word kind, be kind. Uh, because nobody reads that like, I am highly offended. No, like we know that like we should be kind to each other. We know that we should have self-control. We know, we know that these things. Uh, I'm not going to do an entire sermon on that list. We're going to talk about things that we can add at a, in a future installment on this series. What I want to do is look at, at a couple of things. One is when he talks about the works of the flesh, it's plural. When he talks about the fruit of the spirit, it's singular. Works of the flesh is there's a lot of ways to get into bondage. There's only one spirit. And the fruit of that spirit looks like, depending on which angle you look at it, it might look like goodness. But you know, it also kind of looks like faithfulness. In this side of it, if you look underneath, it says, it says self-control. And this side over here, it's kindness. Like the fruit of the spirit, it's singular because as the, as the spirit bears fruit in your life, it's, it's this one glowing thing that has these descriptors of it. 
But the works of the flesh are, they're plural. There's, there's so many different ways you can get into bondage. If you look at Paul's writings, um, like you, you, you can read again in Colossians, he has another list and it's different than the list that he had right there. Why? Because they were dealing with different junk in that church. And if you read uh, like Thessalonians, there's just a different list there. If you read, there's a different list because there's a lot of things in this world that are entrapping us. There's only one spirit and the fruit of that spirit is so good and so pure. There's also... Um, an intended uh, activity with the idea of works of the flesh. He's, it's a works of the flesh and fruit of the spirit. Now, how many of you go outside and you have like an apple tree or a grape bush or something like that? And you're just like, man, I just, I just need a bigger apple. And you grab that tree and with all your might, you squeeze the juice into the apple and like just airs up like a water balloon. No, that's not how apples work. That's not how any fruit works. Fruit, you, you don't do much to it. You water the, the plant and you sit back, but the tree does all the work. The fruit is passive. It's just like, I didn't do anything to deserve that. Works of the flesh, on the other hand, you pay the ticket to get into the prison. You, you actively run to the thing. Even though your mom and your grandma and your nana were like, hey, I think that that's a bad idea. Uh, mind your own business, woman. And then you go and you do your thing and you end up trapped. Why? Because you work to earn that. The fruit of the Spirit grows inside believers as we pursue Him instead. But what do we do? Because the works of the flesh and the, and the fruit of the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit, they're at odds with each other, Paul says. That's why we don't do the things that we want, because we actually want two opposing things all the time. We want the good of the Spirit, and we want to just do whatever we want, and we're constantly playing tug-of-war. What do we do? How do we fight that? How do we, how do we win this battle? How do we stop doing the things on our, uh, on our resolutions list? Verse 24. It says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They crucified the flesh. Now, you know, we, we're so far from crucifixion being a thing that like, oh, oh, we kill it? Okay, and we just move on. There's a lot of different ways to kill a thing. I don't know if you know that, hunters. You're like, yeah, you got your bows, you got your rifles, you got your shotguns. There's a, it's like the Bubba Gump of hunting. Uh, you, there's a lot of different ways to kill a thing. He doesn't say just kill it. He says crucify. It's specific. A crucifixion, you're not allowed to just go crucify anybody you want. You didn't pay me for that car. I'm going to go crucify. No, you had to go to court. You had to have like someone of a certain level of authority. You couldn't crucify just anybody. It was against the law to crucify Roman citizens. So Romans invented a form of execution. And then they said, it's against the law to use this against our citizens. Go find randos out in the, out in the crowd. And like, oh, are you, you don't have a driver's license? You're not a Roman citizen? Come on, buddy. We're going to crucify you. Crucifixion was public. It wasn't private. You don't sneak up on someone and like they're sleeping or eating like a bowl of cereal, like, ha ha, crucified you. Like it was a thing. You had to, you had to take them. You had to beat them. You had to like publicly announce what their crime was. You had to sentence them to execution. And then they had to themselves drag their cross to the place of crucifixion with the whole crowd just yelling at them. And you're probably half naked. You're bleeding. You're, you're beat up. And then you, you carried the thing to the spot and, the, and then you, you hang them up. And for public display to see, and you announce their crime, what they did that was so bad, it, it was reserved for the worst of the worst criminal, and you have to announce their crime. They, they had to nail a sign above Jesus' head to say what his crime was, claiming to be the king of the Jews is what they said. You, you can't just crucify people without doing these steps, because crucifixion is different than an assassination. Here's what you and I do. Uh, we're told and we believe that like, you know, there are some things that are works of the flesh that I should stop doing. I'm going to kill it. And I want to sneak up behind it. And I'm going to, yeah, yeah. 
Nobody knew. Nobody saw. Oh, it was like a real quiet, it's a real quiet assassination. And then like three months later, you haven't told anybody your desire to stop this thing, this is your desire to get out of this bondage, your desire. You haven't told anybody. You haven't had anybody join you in prayer. You haven't, you haven't gotten any help in it. Three months later, you're back in the same bondage. You're like, man, I thought I stopped that. I, I thought I quit doing that thing. That, that are, it's evident. You don't need me to give you a list because the works of the flesh are evident. I thought, I thought it was going to be over. No, no, because you didn't crucify it. You, you put it in a sleeper hold, uh, and you had like a ref, like do the three tap, and you got the gold belt, and you think you won the match, but it's all fake because wrestling is fake. Sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, crucifixion is not fake. There's no such thing as a fake crucifixion. You don't sneak up on your sins and try to kill it quietly. You don't, you don't hire other people uh, without you doing any work to come take care of this problem, like, like you're going to hire a hitman or something, you know? Uh, you you want to kill the works of the flesh that you've been battling for so long? You want to stop doing those secret things or those public things that are destroying your life? You want to get out of that form of bondage? You've got to get some help. You've got to get a group of people that you trust. I would argue a community group fits that bill. But if not, just two or three good friends that they love you, they have your best interests in mind, and you say, I'm ready to crucify this addiction. I'm ready to crucify this, this, this habit uh, of pornography. I'm ready to be a former smoker. I'm ready to, it's destroying my life, man. I need to pronounce a judgment on this. Will you join in me? Can we publicly just crucify this? And this is not the same as like, I'm going to pass the mic around and we all share our secret sins. So it's, it's not that, okay? Uh, it's this idea that you were never meant to be alone. You can't quietly crucify something. Um, and those who belong to Christ, he says, Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified the flesh with its passions. Get out of my life and its desires. But we need to be careful, and I need to be careful with time, but we need to be careful um, that in, in us finding success over the things that were causing us bondage, that we don't become conceited and we look down on other people who are struggling with the same things that we were struggling with last month. Christians are... We've got, a, we've got a bad reputation for this. Carpenter's Way has a, I'm just going to tell you, my, my observation is that we're really good at looking out for each other, but Christianity as a whole has this bad habit of, yeah, I used to be a smoker, now I look down on all smokers, right? I used to be uh, an alcoholic, now I look down on all alcoholics. I used to have this struggle with this thing, this secret sin, and now I look down on all people. No, no, we need to be very careful, and Paul's going to say this, that we don't look down on each other. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I'm trusting the Spirit, okay? Let's follow him. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You, you, may, you may be struggling with a secret sin, and you've got a buddy of yours who's like, I have victory over that. Uh, one, they shouldn't be looking down on you, but two, you shouldn't be jealous of the fact that they have victory, like they, they've, they've found healing. Uh, you should look at that and say, oh, so it's possible. It's possible for me to find victory over this thing that's been causing me bondage. It's possible for me to get out of that. Uh, thank you for that. Will you pray with me about that? And your brother shouldn't be looking down on you like, Callie, man, when you get your life together, I'll, be your, uh, I'll, I'll look out for you. I'll be your friend. That's not how life works. I'm going to keep going because Paul didn't write the chapter breaks. And so I've got five more verses and I have time. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What kind of spirit? It's not a rushed thing. Those of us who have, like, we've done a thing, we found victory over a thing, we find somebody else wanting to find victory over a thing, we help restore them with gentleness. We don't rush it. We don't badger them. I get it, man. That bondage was awful. Man, I remember, I remember the cold sweats. 
I, I remember I remember my family trying to heal from that that breakup. I remember, I remember what it was like when, when, that, when that marriage was trying to get put back together. I remember that, man. And uh, you're just on the beginning of it, but I'm telling you right now, uh, you're not going to go through this alone, and, and we're going we're to see this through together. We restore them in a spirit of gentleness. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too become tempted. It's possible for those of us who have found victory in a thing to submit again to a yoke of slavery. We're like, oh, that was, man, that was like 20 years ago. Wasn't that fun? No, you stopped doing it for a reason. That's why, that's why you wanted to quit. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery and be careful when you're helping your brother that you don't be tempted. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That is, that is the nicest mean thing I've ever read in my life. We walk around and we think we're, we're hot stuff because the Lord worked in our lives and we have victory over a thing. Be very careful that you don't talk about how great you are for not being guilty of that, not being in that bondage anymore. Because if you do that, when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. But let each one, verse four, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. If your reason to brag is to look at somebody else in their bondage and their suffering and think you're better than them, you are way off the mark of what Christianity should look like, way off the mark. Your reason to brag is that Jesus saved you. Your reason to brag is that Jesus paid the price on the cross so you don't have to pay the price. Your reason to brag is that Jesus has given you a true freedom so that you can pursue him and not be enslaved to the junk in this world that is really set up to be a bear trap and enslave every one of us. That's our reason to boast and to brag. For each one, last verse, for each one will have to bear his own load. The load that you bear, the sin that you're struggling with is different than the load I bear and the sin I struggle with because we're all just being led by the Spirit. And as we trust the Spirit in our community, as we trust each other to, to crucify the desires of the flesh, as we, as we do what Paul is describing right here, what we're going to do is that we're going to find that we're bearing our own load. We take each of us, take our load to the cross. And if we find a brother in transgression in gentleness, we're like, hey man, I, I've, I've been there. You don't think this is going to lead where you think it's going to lead, but I'm telling you, this is where it led my life. Let's, let's, let's take a step back from it. And then so we, we bear our own burden and we fulfill, as Paul would say, we fulfill, fulfill the law of Christ. In closing, I'll say this, that God is calling you, you, me, all of us in this room, to a real freedom. And too often the, the image of Christianity is that God's just calling me to stop doing all the fun things I've been wanting to do all my life. He's taking all the fun away. No, 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 no. He's calling you to real freedom. Those things that, that he's calling you away from, that you think are like mean to you, uh, you should know that those things lead to a bondage you may not see yet. They lead to a thing, a, a pain, a destruction in your life because all sin causes death. He doesn't call us to a fake freedom that removes all the joy in life. He calls us to a real freedom because it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we need to be careful as Christians that we don't submit to a new yoke. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, oh, that's some, that must be nice for you Christian people, uh, but uh, what, what about me? Uh, yeah, he's calling you to a real freedom too. And that freedom is to lay every bit of yourself down at the cross and to cry out to him and say, Jesus, I, I think you're Lord. Will you be Lord of my life? Um, and you confess to him. If you'd like to talk about that, uh, you meet me afterwards. But I'm going to pray. Uh, I pray that as you process this, as you process your New Year's resolutions, and for those of us in the 94 percentile that were like, I gave up last week, um, it's not too late. It's not too late to crucify uh, the things in your life. 
that are hurting you, that are putting you in bondage. Don't give up on that. It is a worthy pursuit. There's a worthy pursuit and you will find freedom because Christ will set you free. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, this morning, uh, I ask God for, for your blessings on, on these people. I pray, God, that you will um, you'll help us find victory in so many different steps of our life. Lord, your, your word says that the works of the flesh are evident, and I, I bet every one of us can think immediately three or four things that it's just like, it just keeps coming up. It's a thing. Um, Lord, help us to crucify those things. Help us to trust the crucified one as our payment for those things. And uh, may we find freedom in your name. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for the freedom that Jesus has given us. We thank you, Lord, that we've tasted that. Um, help us pursue it more and help us not submit to a new yoke of slavery. We'll pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.